Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Previously on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. Over the past 40 years, the Paradise Island has seen about 30 shark attacks, 17 of them fatal. And even though researchers have noted an increase in attacks in the world, 79 last year, they are due to the growing number of bathers in the sea. These figures should be put into perspective, as deaths are still rare. Each year, sharks cause 12 times fewer deaths than hippopotamuses and nearly 100 times fewer than bees. Let me clarify, because we are wasting a lot of time in this pointless debate. This study, even though it's 14 years old and funded by the states, indicates that nets are not suitable for La Réunion, they are not good for the environment, they are too expensive. But on the other hand, the one thing that it does recommend is to set up drum lines. I have already said, and it has been said before, and we can say it again, that the number one best way to prevent shark attacks is to stay out of the water after heavy rains. All these attacks could have been avoided if the two or three most important conditions... I have to respond because it's a false premise. I'm hearing things that offend me. If it is the surfers who are getting attacked, Monsieur Landron, it is because who's on the front line? Surfers. We are the buffet getting eaten. In the December 1967 issue of the totally fascinating academic journal Management Science, a UC Berkeley professor and philosopher named Charles West Churchman published in Management Science a now famous editorial titled Wicked Problems. In this editorial, Churchman wrote that another Cal professor, Horst Ritter over in architecture, had recently suggested in a seminar the term wicked problem to refer to social system problems, issues in planning and policy, so complicated that it's hard even to formulate them correctly, right? Where it's like, it's hard even just to say exactly what the problem is and where the relevant data is confusing at best. And clients and decision makers, all the stakeholders, hold radically conflicting values and where the ramifications of the whole situation are just hard to sort out. The adjective wicked was meant to capture the mischievous and even evil quality of these problems, where proposed solutions often turned out worse than the symptoms. Now, the term wicked problem has since acquired a life of its own in planning and policy circles. Classic examples include intractable nightmares like homelessness, social injustice, the absurd state of the U.S. healthcare system, nuclear weapons, and king of kings, climate change. Worst of all, 
just to finish up my little riff, Wicked Problems and the Reunion Island Shark Crisis is absolutely one, have a limited time quality. The more time everybody burns arguing and disagreeing, the wickeder that problem becomes. Put another way, the clock is ticking. I'm Dan Duane, and this is Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise, Episode 3, A Problem Most Wicked. These days, people typically think of wicked problems in terms of certain distinctive features or hallmarks as follows. Number one, a problem in which stakeholders cannot even agree on what the problem is. So now, taking the Reunion Island shark crisis as an example, because it is textbook. Hey, everybody, we've got a problem. There are suddenly way more sharks in the resort zone along the west coast of Reunion Island, and they're attacking people. What? That is so not true. There have always been sharks on Reunion Island, and we've always had occasional attacks, and if we've got any problem at all, it's all you entitled, rich, white boy surfers moving down here from mainland France and expecting the ocean to be your personal playground. Wicked problem hallmark number two. The problem can easily be seen as not actually a problem at all, but rather as a symptom of a different problem. So, to take it back to sharks, even if shark attacks are spiking, hey, That is just a symptom of entitled rich mainland French white people taking all the good jobs down here on Reunion, buying up all the best real estate on the beach, and totally ignoring Creole culture, which would have told them that frolicking in the ocean in murky water at the end of the day is a great way to get bit. Wicked problem hallmark number three. Proposed solutions to the wicked problem are never clearly right or wrong, just better or worse. As in, again, I think we ought to just kill a bunch of sharks. Or, no way! The oceans are dying. That's a marine reserve out there. How about just nobody surfs anymore ever? Hallmark number four. Proposed solutions to wicked problems typically require lots and lots of people to completely change their mindset. As in, again, the whole point of living on this island is to have fun in nature. Surfing is the essence of fun in nature. Or, that's insane. Nature exists for its own sake, not for your pleasure. Now, this whole concept of the wicked problem has become so useful in policy and planning that there are now multiple subcategories, like one known by the, it's this very dry technical term, social mess. Yeah, that's really, that's really one of the categories, social mess, characterized by lousy, scarce data, as in, again, Shark numbers are spiking. I mean, spear fishermen are just seeing sharks all over the place. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just not data. That's anecdote. The plural of anecdote is not data. So, you don't really have any idea what the shark population is. Nobody does. Finally, in a wicked problem sub-subset known as the super-wicked problem, global climate change again, no single authority is even responsible for solving the problem. To wit, is this shark nightmare on town mayors to solve or the French national government? Some of the people tasked with solving the problem may even be causing it. More on this later. It gets spicy in the shark issue. And policymakers cannot afford to be wrong because no matter what solution they try, 
they are going to own whatever happens next. Start killing sharks, and suddenly you're a shark killer. Choose not to kill sharks, and the next attack is definitely your fault. Shark fatalities at local beaches turn mayors into mush. That's a shark and public policy researcher named Christopher Pepineff, who knows the reunion nightmare well. You know, it's a very, very, very tragic, very upsetting situation. And there's a lot of people there. It looks like it's happening on your watch. And the more you try to govern it, the worse it gets. So the more you try to prevent shark bites, you own the fact that these things can happen and it ends up backfiring. So and I think it's backfired and then backfired and then backfired on reunion. The date, July 7, 2011, three weeks after Eddie Aubert got torn apart at Bucan Cano. The setting, La Plage Roche Noire, Black Rock Beach, exactly where somebody on shore saw a shark near surfers, started to scream, and caught the attention of patrolling cops who used their siren and megaphone to scare everyone out of the water. Also, quite near where Eric Darjean lost his leg, and therefore also where Jean-Francois and Christophe killed that bull shark. Now, the scene, gorgeous spot, like you dream about finding on vacation. I'm telling you, lovely little upscale French fishing village. Cute little bistros, dive shops, white sand, lifeguard tower manned by handsome French lifeguards with savage tans and cool sunglasses. And the protagonist, 16-year-old blonde kid, Arnaud Dussel, classic Zoré. Remember that term? Mainland French white newcomer to Reunion. Maybe you live there, but you're not Creole. And Zores are also widely believed by Creoles to be crazy cavalier about shark risk. This Arnaud kid notices lifeguards flying the red flag, high shark risk. But hey, it's the middle of the day, it hasn't been raining, bunch of other surfers in the water, scoring waves. So Arnaud paddles out and I can just feel that warmish, cool ocean water on my bare arms paddling a surfboard into that lineup. What a dream, man, I'm telling you, I've seen this place, aquamarine sea, baby blue sky, sitting up floating on the surfboard, waiting your turn for a wave, and then BAM! Huge beast slams into the bottom of Arnaud's board, knocks him clean off the board into the water. And now, quick side note, just because it's kind of fun. Surfboards have ankle leashes. Think of it's like a stretchy plastic nylon cord, six feet, eight feet long, something like that, attached to the base of the board at one end and at the other to the surfer's ankle with a big Velcro cuff. It, it's a great convenience. The idea is if you fall off your board in a wave, the board doesn't get pushed all the way to the beach. But they can be a little awkward in shark attacks because it's not uncommon in a shark attack for the shark to chomp onto the board and sometimes even like dive into the deep with the board. And if you're still attached by an ankle leash, you can end up going on a ride with the shark and the board. Okay. That's basically what happened to Arnaud. Knocked off the board, he actually sees the gray belly of this shark right in front of him, kicks at it with his feet, while the shark gets busy biting Arnaud's surfboard into bits. All the other surfers paddle the hell out there, but Arnaud is stuck because of that leash, right, connecting his ankle to the board, and the shark is still busy working over the surfboard. So Arnaud screams, and lifeguards jump into action. 
On a fait le maximum. On a pu très vite le mettre à l'eau. We were able to put him on the jet ski in the water very quickly, and we got to the victim in less than a minute. Arnaud's fine. Lifeguards got him ashore in plenty of time. No harm, no foul. But a goofy little interview post-game between Arnaud and a journalist hints at the sheer wickedness of the situation, starting with the journalist here. The flag was red, the water was murky. There were risks, right? Even when the water is clear, there can still be sharks. This is their natural habitat. It's not ours. Are you aware that you have been very fortunate? Of course. I was really lucky. It's amazing to be alive. Do you plan to return to the water soon? If there is a red flag, maybe not. But <laughs> by the time I forget, yeah, I'll, I'll probably go back in a few days. I love that kid. But see what I mean? Clear water, murky water, red flag, no flag. You were taking a risk. Man, there's always risks. You're not going back, are you? Nah, I mean, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> These people are not speaking the same language. And now, as relatively minor as that attack was, it turned out to be a kind of turning point in the whole crisis. Because a local Creole politician named Huguette Bello took the Arnaud Ducel attack as her cue that it was time to be seen to be doing something that she could no longer afford to remain on the sidelines. Bello, by the way, is a major power player on the union. In fact, she is currently president of the regional council, which basically makes her the governor of the island. Back then, though, in 2011, Bello was mayor of the town of St. Paul, a sort of modest, middle-class, regular folks kind of community on a bay just north of that West Coast resort zone. And Bella was also a card-carrying member of the French Communist Party, which I love because of what it says about the difference between France and the U.S. Like, that you can actually be a card-carrying member of the Communist Party in France and still run for office and get treated like a normal person and win. But also, on that communist thing, Bello's politics were super far left. And in the way things shaped up on Reunion, super far left meant less alliance with the coastal surfer crowd than with the older, more traditional Creole communities that cared not a lick about surfing, but worried a lot about high unemployment and poverty and the outrageous cost of housing. So Bello announced that she would host at St. Paul Town Hall the first ever public roundtable meeting on shark risk on Reunion Island. The first in what would become, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of public meetings over the next 10 years? Bellows people sent invitations to lifeguards, cops, environmentalists, the director of the local aquarium, because, well, I don't actually know why they invited the aquarium guy, except maybe because aquariums have fish and sharks are fish. Even people from the tourism board got the nod, likely because they were about to fly to Paris for a big international tourism conference where their pitch for reunion was fun in the sun. Snorkel, learn to surf with your kids. As far as I can tell, the only obvious category of people not invited were actual shark experts. Doubtless because there just sort of weren't any on reunion at the time. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done. 
felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. With that roundtable scheduled for two weeks out, July 25th, public conversation on the West Coast of Reunion started to froth, mostly on the question of what the hell was going on? What was the problem, in other words? Or did we even have a problem? The director of the local Marine Reserve, for example, the Marine Wildlife Sanctuary along the whole West Coast, he told a newspaper that scientists typically observed between 40 and 60 sharks every year in Reunion, and this just meant the risk of shark attack was constant, unchanging. He said, Over the years, safety rules have not changed. Precautionary measures, which are constantly hammered into the public, do not seem to resonate. In other words, in his view, we do not have a shark problem. We have a people problem because surfers just don't listen. A newspaper article headlined Why All the Shark Attacks said, quote, Everyone has their own hypothesis. In the absence of a scientific study, there is no answer, except for some leads. Among those leads, at least for people inclined to believe that shark attacks were spiking and that there really were more sharks, three main plausible culprits bubbled to the surface. Number one, the legal ban on commercial sale of shark meat on reunion. This legal ban dated to the late 1990s when a bunch of people on Madagascar, a few hundred miles to the west of Reunion, died from eating shark meat tainted with a neurotoxin called Cigatera. It's a naturally occurring thing. It's not a pollution deal. But the French government, out of an abundance of caution, purely in the interest of public safety, responded in 1999 by outlawing all commercial sale of shark meat on Reunion arguably turning the island into a shark sanctuary. Before this, there were around two or three sharks fished per day along the west coast of Reunion Island by traditional fishermen with the small fishing boats and by professional fishermen and for deep-sea fishing for tourists. The shark fins were for the Chinese shop to make shark fin soup. The jaws were for the zoe so they could hang it up on the living room wall. The top of the chips were for the jewelers. The skin of the shark was made for Indian drums, and the tail was for eating. That guy's name is Christophe Mulkeen, 50-something Zoré surfer, widely respected surf coach, major player in the shark issue. Of that law against the commercial sale of shark meat, he said, When the ban was put in place, the bull shark population, of course, increased once again. It's a simple mathematical outcome in this type of situation. Okay. Now for plausible culprit number two, at least if you believed that sharks really were biting more people. 
that marine reserve, created by the French government in 2007 on the West Coast to protect coral reefs. Before the reserve, a lot of those reefs were big spearfishing sites. Spear fishermen didn't much hunt bull sharks because that would be insane. But bull sharks don't like to be seen by humans. Jean-Francois notwithstanding, apparently. But they just don't. They're shy. Scuba divers almost never see them. So by this argument, maybe the very presence of spear fishermen in the water before the creation of the marine reserve kept bull sharks away. When the marine reserve was put in place, it took these people out. There was nobody in the water column, so another predator came in and replaced them. Plausible culprit number three, a commercial fish farm in St. Paul Bay, right off the town of St. Paul, where Huguette Bellow was mayor, north of the West Coast Resort Zone. Basically, just enormous offshore fish nets arranged to create huge pens holding many thousands of farmed fish. David Guillemard and Christophe Perry told me that this fish farm attracted so many bull and tiger sharks that the fish farm managers got freaked out and started killing sharks to protect their workers. Because they were, because they were too much. disturbed by, by the bull sharks. That was David. And Christophe. In, in 1997 or 8, I've seen uh, a shooting of, a, you know, it was not GoPro at that time, it was big cameras there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have put the, the camera from the, the fish farm there until the bottom. So you see the, the camera like this. Poom, arriving on the bottom, so you see the, the sand coming around, and then you see one, two, three, like seven, ten bull sharks, but huge ones. And they were there. They were In there. In St. Paul Bay. Just like three kilometers. On July 25th, 2011, more than 80 people showed up for Mayor Bellow's roundtable meeting at St. Paul Town Hall, a lovely white colonial building on a modest little town square with a fountain surrounded by flowers. One person who was present, Fabienne coipel Soré, was an elected member of the island's regional council, like a state assemblyman. There was a lot of opposition and conflict at that time. There were surfers on one side, environmentalists on the other, and everyone was locking horns. So the surfers and the ocean goers, well, for them, they thought that we had let shark numbers proliferate that it was necessary to intervene. The environmentalists said the opposite. They were protecting the sharks, saying that they were in their natural environment, and it's not man's job to intervene. When you have two such opposing clans, it's vital to have objective analysis, studies, and data. Of course, analysis, studies, and data were exactly what nobody had. Mulkeen, that older Zoré surf coach, found this whole phase of the crisis intensely frustrating. And at this point, we surfers found ourselves at opposite people. Legal experts, scientists, scuba divers as well. These people looked at us and treated us like shit. They looked at us with real disdain and for them, the problem existed simply because we were surfing. And right away, we had violent clash and conflict really very heated and brutal. For example, during the meetings, these scientists started to say that the surfers were reckless. 
So we were in front of people who had an opinion about the surfing world without knowing anything about all the world of surfing. People were insulting each other, shouting at each other. The community of surfers were being heavily blamed. So when the shark crisis started in 2011, there was this social problem because it seemed that surfing was only for blonde, blue-eyed, white kids, but in reality, that's completely incorrect. So on top of losing friends under horrible circumstances, on top of this, we were told that it was our fault. But we'd been surfing for 20 years here. We knew this environment. We knew how things worked. And when we started to say to the prefect, to the mayor, and to the important decision makers, when we started to say to them that there was something abnormal going on, people didn't listen to us. Because by definition, a surfer is a weed smoker, somebody who's not serious, somebody who's not part of society. So people considered surfers as marginal. On top of being delinquent surfers, we were also being called anti-environmentalists. We wanted to kill sharks in order to have fun. That was the message. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other side of the argument, the environmental side from that phase of the crisis, is not well preserved. Likely because everybody who defended sharks in that period wound up getting savaged either online or in person or both. But their reasoning started with the fact that there really had always been some shark attacks on Reunion and, more importantly, nobody even knew if the sharks in question were sedentary. Like, did they hang out in specific places or did they just endlessly come and go from the open ocean? Because if the latter were true, if they just came and went, it would be sort of bizarre to just randomly kill sharks after every attack. That would be like killing a random human after every homicide. And even if authorities did authorize killing a shark after every attack, how could anybody ever know they were killing the right shark? Finally, and this is important, sharks are the very definition of what conservationists like to call charismatic megafauna, big, beautiful animals that we humans like to save. In other words, nobody's chaining themselves to trees to save the redwoods because of an endangered species of mosquito. 
But a lot of us can get worked up about protecting elephants and whales, and yes, even sharks. Like, there's a shark conservation org where, for a small fee, you can adopt a specific bull shark, and they'll send you a stuffy of it so you can snuggle with your adopted shark at night. But the point, given the sheer wickedness of the issue, it's no surprise that Mayor Bellow's roundtable meeting ended with surfers still pissed and scared, conservationists, likewise, and zero concrete result. Outside town hall, Mayor Bellow talked to reporters. Et l'on a besoin que l'on trouve vraiment une réponse commune. What we need is to come up with a common and shared response, one in which everyone agrees, so that we can start off from a good, clear position. This is why research is important in order to establish legislation and to put in place preventative measures. Classic wicked problem predicament, right? Because in what universe did Bellow think that a common and shared response was even on the table? And Bellow also tipped her hand in terms of where she stood on Zoré surfers. We have to do everything we can to ensure that those who practice water sports are the most, well, that they agree to respect a certain number of simple rules. Put another way, coming out of that meeting, impasse. With zero concrete response on offer and none even under consideration beyond more meetings. Three more, to be precise, planned for early autumn. And while that was bad enough for surfers like Jean-Francois, who saw the issue in stark black and white terms and just wanted politicians to get off their butts and kill sharks, it was downright terrifying for professional bodyboarders on Reunion Island. You know why? Because the 2011 Nissan World Bodyboarding Championship contest was scheduled to be held right there on Reunion in late summer, just before Mayor Bellow's next round of meetings. So what were these pro bodyboarders supposed to do? Quit training in the final two months before Worlds? Consider the predicament of two very old friends, one Creole, one Zoré, and both sponsored pros hoping to compete. I met the Creole in the pair, Olivier Marimutu, under shade trees at Bouconcano, quite near where I'd met Eddie Aubert's brother to talk about Eddie's death. Olivier was a huge dude, massive broad shoulders, big strong hands, intense dark eyes that flashed with tenderness. As Creole as it gets, too, his father's family came to Reunion out of Pondicherry, India in the late 1800s, back when the big agricultural plantations were importing indentured laborers. Olivier was a smoking hot pro bodyboarder as a kid, and he even got sponsors paying for plane tickets to overseas contests. So he rode that gravy train until the money stopped making sense. There just isn't all that much money in bodyboarding. And at that point, Olivier settled back home on Reunion and trained to become a lifeguard, like his own dad had been. Olivier took up blue water hunting, too, spearfishing big game in deep water. In fact, that got him the same early warning signs that woke up Jean-Francois to the coming shark problem. I'd already had face-to-face -face confrontations with bull sharks before, but not enough um, to be scared. But it was really incredible to see the numbers change in 2008, 2009. 
Olivier told me that in the old days, he'd always seen individual sharks or occasionally a couple of females. But then he started seeing big groups of males and females together behaving weird. Before, he said, These sharks weren't looking for any contact at all. I think they were scared. They kept their distance. But then something just changed. Out of the blue, sharks started charging spear fishermen and trying to steal their catch. Lifeguards like Olivier got worried about the general public out swimming around clueless. He said they even tried to warn authorities. Um, but we were just told, don't say anything, don't talk about it. So, um, I don't know. It reminded me of the movie Joe's, when the policeman finds it hard to convince the mayor that the holiday season could be compromised. It was a little bit like that here. The shopkeepers didn't want to hear about sharks. They were saying, this isn't the right time, the holiday season is coming. It was like that. So there was pressure on us not to say anything. So when sharks killed Eddie at Bucan, I mean, Olivier went to high school with Eddie. He grew up with Eddie right on that beach. And now Olivier was a lifeguard on that same beach. His whole career was supposed to be keeping people safe, including his old buddies. Plus, he'd seen trouble coming. So he felt super frustrated. And now, in that late summer of 2011, with all those politicians still dithering, Olivier and his best friend, a guy named Mathieu, both had to train for bodyboarding worlds. I mean, that was their field of dreams, their shared shot at authentic glory in life. No way were they staying out of the water. When you say you felt it coming, do you mean that you felt the attack coming? Or how do you understand? When I said I could feel things coming, that was just all the shark sighting over a number of years. The alarm bells were ringing, but we weren't listening to them. Should we be? Are we worrying about nothing? Should we just keep going like we normally do? So we could feel them coming to a certain extent, but we weren't acting on that feeling. I had the impression that I could feel it coming and that one day or another it would happen. But I didn't know that it would be that day. I didn't know that we were running a risk that day. Olivier was talking now about September 19th, 2011, one week before the Bodyboarding World Championships, when he and his buddy were in their final training days. Coming up next on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. We were on the beach of Boucan with Mathieu in the morning. I was six months pregnant. We were talking about the future and our vacations on the island while watching the passage of a whale. Magical moments. 
We plan to stay three weeks, so nothing to worry about. Plenty of time. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise is a production of Hyperobject Industries, Little Everywhere, and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written, reported, and hosted by me, Dan Duane. Executive produced by Adam McKay, Claire Slaughter, Harry Nelson, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie. Produced and engineered by Joy Sanford, Mike Richter, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie, with help from Zaley Mahone. Edited by Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie. All final mixes by Mike Richter. Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise was interpreted by James Christie and Pauline Chardin. Special thanks to all of our voice actors, Fred Gill, Sandrine Ristello, Julio Mendy, and Marley Otto, and to the many people on Reunion Island that helped make all of this possible. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.